This morning, if you have a Bible, if you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter chapter 2, I want to look specifically at verses 9 and 10. And so we've been thinking about how the Bible fits together, right? That's kind of the idea of biblical theology, seeing how things uh, trace and flow throughout the Bible and uh, how they get picked picked up on and themes develop and things like that. And so last time we looked at how Jesus thought about and understood the Old Testament. And so this is kind of the conclusion to this study. This morning I want to think about how the disciples of Jesus understood and thought about the Old Testament. And specifically we'll look at one specific example. And so as we think about this topic, really we remember that God has given us an infallible uh, commentary or interpretation, you might say, of the Old Testament. And that's the New Testament. Uh, And so oftentimes we'll have people in the New Testament quoting passages or prophecies from the Old Testament, and then they talk about what it means, right? And so we don't need to overcomplicate things. A lot of the times uh, when we're in the Old Testament, Just look and see, hey, did anyone in the New Testament talk about it? And that helps us understand kind of what's going on in that passage. And so that's one of the things we see here to a certain extent in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. So I just want to look at this example. But you can kind of apply this to all the other places in the New Testament where you see them quoting or teaching on the Old Testament, right? They understood how it worked. Jeremy, you want to handle that? Thank you. Just use your shoe. Thank you. All right, you can sit back down now. Just set it down and I'll get it. All right. All right, now that we had that uh, (laughs) minor distraction. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. It says this, the word of the Lord says this. This is Peter talking to uh, his audience. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so this is an amazing passage just on the surface. It talks about the testimony of every believer, what Jesus has done for us, what God has done in delivering us out of darkness, and the amazing uh, titles and privileges we have as children of God that he's chosen us, we're a priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and that we get to proclaim how great God is, that he's delivered us out of darkness. That in itself is 
an amazing thing that we have received the mercy of God when we didn't deserve it, uh, but he has saved us. And so we remember that, and that's the testimony of the people that Peter is writing to. But this is not just something that Peter writes. This is, these are phrases, these are words that come directly out of the Old Testament. And so they mean something to, to Peter. They mean uh, something incredible because th these are the terms that are used to describe the people of God in the Old Testament. And now here he is applying them to the people of God in the New Testament. And so essentially he's saying, uh, you that I'm writing to, you're not uh, second-rate uh, people of God. You have the full privileges of the people of God. God has declared you to be his people, just like he declared in the Old Testament. And so if you want to look, <clears throat> you can turn to these if you like. But we see these phrases show up in the Old Testament one of the places is Deuteronomy 14, chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2 says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So there you see those phrases repeated. They come from the Old Testament, right? And chosen people for his treasured possession people holy to the Lord. So we see this language in the Old Testament. You could also look at Exodus, right? Exodus chapter 19, right before the Ten Commandments, as God is making this covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. In Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6, God tells the people of Israel this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so we see these same phrases, right? This, they come from the Old Testament. This is how God describes Israel in the Old Testament. The people who were in a covenant relationship with God in the Old Testament had these titles. Uh, this is how God described them as his people. And so now in the New Testament, the people who are in covenant relationship with God, because we remember we're part of the new covenant people of God, that we receive these same descriptions about us. Peter says them here. We could look other places. Really, in a lot of ways, what we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we'll think about some more this Sunday, says very much the same thing about how... Uh, God has made the two one, and we are fellow citizens with the saints. The Gentiles have been made fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There in Ephesians chapter 2. Very similar idea to what Peter says here. And so Peter knows the Old Testament. He learned it from Jesus, right? Jesus taught him and the disciples how really all the Old Testament pointed to Jesus, and so he picked up on that, and as he's read through, as he knows the Old Testament, he's grown up with it, he understands that this uh, idea of the people of God is something that was talked about in the Old Testament. Uh, there are lots of places you go to see this. But if you looked at Isaiah chapter 9, we're familiar with this passage. That's the passage we read most Christmas times. Uh, about for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given that's Isaiah chapter 9 
Well, it says something in verses two and three that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. That's a fascinating phrase. Really, when we get to the New Testament, we understand more of what this means. That this prophecy about Jesus is not just talking about him bringing light to Israel and showing them that he's the true Messiah. It's talking about God bringing light to those in deep darkness, those who are Gentiles, who don't even know the Lord. And so when it says, you have multiplied the nation, right? It's talking about this expansion of the people of God into the nations. We see that in other places in Isaiah as well and prophesied about in other passages of the New Covenant. But the New Testament authors, Jesus himself picks up on this, but the the disciples of Jesus pick up on this as well. So Peter feels uh, no reserves about telling the Gentiles and telling all the people of God that this is who you are because this is what God was going to do from all the Old Testament texts. He, he prophesied that it wasn't just going to be this one small group, that this was going to expand to all the peoples of the earth, that God would uh, ransom people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and they would be a part of the nation of God, the the true Israel, you might say, as we see in uh, some places in the New Testament, that Gentiles are brought into that as well. And so Peter knows that these are prophesied, and he also knows that this is showing up in the New Testament. So the key part, I think, one of the key things of how Peter shows us that he knows this is at Pentecost. So when Peter, the Holy Spirit comes, you remember at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and Peter stands up and he preaches the sermon. And he realizes that this is the Holy Spirit, right? He knows that this is God at work. God has sent the Holy Spirit. Well, Peter also knows that the Holy Spirit is connected to something important in the Old Testament. Uh, It's connected to Jesus being Lord. And that's what he talks about in the sermon mostly. But the coming of the Holy Spirit is also connected to the new covenant. Uh, In Ezekiel, the prophecy was that God would put his spirit inside his people at the new covenant. He'd take out the heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh, and give this people uh, his spirit. That's Ezekiel 36, I believe. (coughs) And so Peter sees this happening. He knows the Old Testament. He sees this happening, and he says, this is it. The new covenant is here God has sent his spirit, and this is what's happening now. And so Peter realizes that, hey, the new covenant's shown up. And then as we go through the book of Acts, we see the spirit not just being given to the Jews there at Pentecost, but we see the spirit given to Cornelius and his family. We see the spirit given to the the other Gentiles in the book of Acts. right? And so Peter realizes that the new covenant isn't just about the Jews, but it's also how God is going to include the nations as his people, bring them into the kingdom of God. And so that's why we can see in 1 Peter or Ephesians 2 or elsewhere that now all these titles about the people of God in the Old Testament are now given to every believer, right? Not just Jews, but Gentiles as well are called 
a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Because everyone who believes in Jesus is now part of the people of God. And so this is the fulfillment. As Peter understands this, really he's packing a lot into these verses. But these phrases remind us that he sees this as the continuation of what God was doing in the Old Testament. That these are the people of God. Just like they had this title in the Old Testament, the people of God still have this title. But God has done that not just in the Jews, but as a great commission, God, he's sent missionaries and he's brought people in from every tribe, tongue, and nation, every ethnicity, so to speak, right? That's what God is doing to make the people of God from all those places. And so Peter's been tracking with what's going on, and he understands that this is what's happening, and he knows that it happens through Jesus, that Jesus is the reason that people can now be called the people of God. Even when we had no claim to it, I'm not a Jew. Uh, we talked about a couple Sundays ago, I had no claim to the promises of God in the Old Testament, but in Jesus, those promises are as 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians says, those promises are yes and amen in Jesus, right? And so those promises belong to all the people of God now. And so that's one example. Like I said, you can look a lot of places, really any place that the New Testament authors quote the Old Testament, it's a, it's a, it's a reminder to us, uh, kind of like a infallible commentary on how we need to be understanding the, the message of the Old Testament. And so whenever we can get the New Testament authors to connect the pieces or to, to help us understand what's going on, uh, we should pay attention to that. Because God's put that in the Bible for us to help us understand the whole story line of the Bible. And so this is just one example, but that I think is a, a fitting way to, to end our study of biblical theology as we think about how the Bible fits together and how it all points to Jesus. We see that example in the New Testament and the Old Testament, that Jesus is the center of it all. 